Tyler Schmeiler. I'm John Morrison, and this is the Rooted and Grounded Podcast. That was a bad way. Mm. Did your voice crack? I think it did. Yeah. You know what Rooted and Grounded does? I think we create theological content. To grow the church and our knowledge of God in order that we might love him and our neighbor more. Well, I mean, that's the heart of it, not the letter. Oh, did I miss it? Yeah. Oh. In order that we would grow in our love for him and for our neighbor. Mm. That's a little wordy. Well, you I should have done it. a better job with that. <laughs> but where could they go if they wanted to learn more about this? Rootedandgrounded.co. That's right. Newly updated, by the way. With new images, uh, a new template. More visually appealing layout. You really we, should check it out if you haven't yet. Yeah, it's nice to have some help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do have good, so we've got a good eye on it now. Yeah. Oh, man. And you know what else? We're one step closer to one of the things I've wanted for so long. Friends? <laughs> I have a couple of those. Shout out to Tim in Colorado. <laughs> yes, that. And oh. a fact checker. Yeah, pretty excited. Very excited. My excitement level's through the roof right now. I believe technically he is our digital consultant. That's right. But my goal is to have our friend Joshua a microphone so that I can call on him randomly. He can just yell loudly and it'll, these mics will pick it up. That's what I would like to happen. <clears throat> One day we'll do that. And, and that way he can also call me out when I say something inaccurate. Which I really thought was my job, but... Yeah, we need two for the, for the number of inaccuracies we have. <laughs> the number of inaccuracies that I, I may or may not have, which we just don't, don't know because we never had a fact checker. Mm, this is true. So, I mean, it could be zero. Yeah. Most likely. Most likely it's none. Well, this week, <clears throat> I'm really excited because you want to know why? We're reading Leviticus. Yes. Mm. And we're in the second week of Leviticus, which if you're following along in our Eden Exile OT reading guides, this would be week 23. And we're not just reading straight through Leviticus. We read chapters one through six last week, which to all those math whizzes is one more than five. So it's the pace quickened by an extra chapter. But we're back down to five chapters this week. They're just not sequential. They're arranged thematically, which as someone complained to me this morning, was a bit confusing. So maybe next time I do this plan, we won't do it that way. Well, that's why feedback, that's why hindsight's twenty twenty. My question is, if you're not going to read all Leviticus, how would you arrange the chapters? You, maybe, I, I don't know. I, I got to rethink it well, through this. Well, you do know. Well, you thought you knew. I thought I knew. No, I'm not sure. So we're going to cover, in air quotes, uh, Leviticus 8, 9, and 10 with an addendum in 21 and 22. Now, have you figured out what those chapters have in common? They're all in Leviticus. You're, you're sharp. I think this is why they're going to let you preach on Sunday. <laughs> I think they're about the priesthood. That's right. Oh, yeah, all wonderful. five are about the priesthood. Wonderful. So last week was about then... Sacrifices. Okay, and this week is going to be the priesthood. And then next week thematically will be about... Uh, purity, so okay. purity laws, and then the purifying that happens through the Day of Atonement. Okay, okay. Uh, and then if you're wanting to know who wrote the devotional for this week, none other than our very own John Morrison. 
well, when you edit the volume, you put in as many as you'd like, <laughs> or you get stuck with all the ones that no one else wants to do. I don't know. One or the other, you decide. And it's sort of like six of one, half dozen the other. Yeah. Well, let's spend the rest of our time talking about the priesthood and that theme through Leviticus. But first, can I ask you a question? I think you're going to anyways. I think I That am. was a question in itself. Can I ask you another question? Please. Um, you wrote in the leader guide Ooh. that Leviticus is about the holy God making a way for his people to dwell in his presence. And then in the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. God the Father, God the Father provides God the Son as the way for his people to draw near to him by God the Spirit. So you have a very Trinitarian approach in this. My mentor helped me with that. And also that the phrase draw near has mm. become sort of a key phrase for our preaching series. Yes. So what's the deal with that? Well, we set it up, and we talked about this yesterday a little bit. We, really, when you look at Leviticus in the context of the Pentateuch. So Leviticus, third book in the Pentateuch, third book of the first five books of the Old Testament, stands as the really the central book of the Pentateuch. Uh, but I think it, it will, in my study, it was helpful to look at it sort of in that big context. How does it fit in with these first five books? And if you look at the end, I think, so we look at the bookends of Exodus, I mean, excuse me, bookends of Leviticus. So Exodus and then Numbers really set up how we're looking at Leviticus together. So did we talk about this last time? I think we may have. We may have, touched we on may this have a mentioned bit. it, but if I've forgotten. There's a good chance it's worth going over again. There you go. All right. So Exodus 40, 35, the tabernacle has been built. Mm-hmm. This whole point of the Exodus that God has redeemed these people mm-hmm. so that they He can dwell among them, mm-hmm. and we get to forty thirty five, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So we have the tabernacle; right. the glory of the Lord is there, and yet because the glory of the Lord is there, Moses cannot enter. So in many ways, we're left with this cliffhanger about, okay, God has come to dwell with his people, but can his people draw near to them? Right. And then we turn, next page, Leviticus mm-hmm. 1.1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring an offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. So, Mo, the Lord is in the tent of meeting in the tabernacle and he calls out to Moses who is outside and tells him how to draw near. And a couple couple words worth pointing out there. Offering mm-hmm. is from the Hebrew root word that means draw near. Mm-hmm. And so the offerings immediately are this idea of drawing near to God. So the Lord is saying to Moses, how can you draw near? And you brought up about the word called there. Mm-hmm. You're pretty Karah. You're pretty excited about that yesterday. Well, I was excited about the whole scene. Mm. Which should I say that? Oh, go for it. Okay. I mean well, it's our podcast. I guess we can say whatever we want to say. say. Well, within reason. Okay. Well, I love the whole scene that's set up from what you talked about 
brought up in Exodus 40 and that uh, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And that in Leviticus 1, the Lord calls to Moses, Karah, called from the tent, saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man of you brings an offering, a korban, an offering, a drawing near Mm -hmm. thing, apparently, that just became known as offering, that uh, you should bring this drawing near thing and then describes what to do. Mm -hmm. Well, just in a fantastic uh, sort of uh, rehashing of an earlier story, in Exodus 3, you really see pretty much the same thing happening. Mm -hmm. The first time that God calls out to Moses. So that same word. Karah calls out to Moses from the bush that's engulfed in flame, which seems to be sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, synonymous with the glory of God. This flaming, consuming thing, yet the bush is not being consumed, which Mm -hmm. makes it this odd that causes Moses to turn. So God calls to him from the bush, same word, calls to him in that way, and says, don't come near, Korban, same word. Don't draw near because the place you are standing is holy ground. Mm. Take off your shoes. And to see that paralleled with what happens in this scene, that God is once again made his presence known through his glory in a consuming fiery cloud thing. And you, you ought to have caution because this is now holy ground. And so to see this uh, same scene sort of replayed between God and Moses as God is doing what he said he would do, taking his people out of slavery in Egypt and giving them their own land. And then what a significant difference when we get to Leviticus. Right. The glory of the Lord is here, but now he calls to Moses and says, this is how you draw near. That's right. And so by the time we get to Numbers, the next book, Numbers 1.1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. So Amen. now Moses is in the tabernacle. He's in the tent of meeting. He's dwelling. He is with God's dwelling presence. There. Exodus 3, don't come near. This is holy ground. Right. Leviticus 1, it's holy ground. Here's how you would draw near. Numbers 1, this is holy ground. And now you're invited into it. Right. Now you are near. Now you're, you have yeah. come near to God. So we're talking about the priest. Yep. The priests are a part of this, how the people draw near. That's right. How do the priests help the people draw near? Like what's their role in that? If Leviticus is all about drawing near to God, what do the priests do to help people draw near to God? I think in a concise way within Leviticus, that after the story of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and uh, Abihu, that there's this sort of concise little phrase that describes what a priest ought to be doing. So Leviticus 10, 8, the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, do not drink, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you. And when you come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die, it is uh, a statute forever throughout your generations and so as to make a distinction between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean, 
and to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So you see, I think really three, um, three distinctives of a priest. Okay. A particular type of living lifestyle of being set apart in how you live, act, function. So living holy in that type of way. That then the priest also is this mediator type role between God and his people to help the people understand who God is by showing what is holy, what is unholy, clean and unclean, so that uh, one may enter into the presence of God. Or one's offering, the drawing near things, Mm -hmm. would be accepted as uh, you know, holy before the Lord and honoring to Him, and then the third that they would verse eleven teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So living holy, being holy, being set apart, helping the people of God in a mediary type way draw near mm-hmm. to Him, and then also teaching the people all the statutes of Moses. Those so, are the three things I see. And so the sacrifices fit in how? As a way to be brought into the presence of God and as a way that God's forgiveness of our rebellion and sin and impurity would be forgiven. So part of the media role, their role as mediators is to offer the sacrifices. That's right. And God's grace, uh, which he repeatedly tells them in... Exodus and Leviticus, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's a repeated phrase. And this is showing very clearly God's grace. They didn't do anything to earn it. Uh, God did it because he loves his people and he, did, and he wanted to do it. So his grace brings them out. And even in living in that grace mm-hmm. as being God's people, yet still they, we uh, fall short and need a way to be brought back into right relationship with God. By his grace, again, he provides a way through these offerings, these drawing near things, and that those offerings then being brought into his presence by the priests provide a way that we would graciously be forgiven and allowed to maintain a right relationship with God. That's how I see it all working. And I think it's interesting what you bring together there with sort of the what we might call the religious component, sort of the sacrifices, drawing near to God, in Leviticus, they're really inter- intertwined with how you live. And this is really true of all the Old Testament, that you get a series of laws that are, here's how you offer a sacrifice, here's how you live. Sacrifice, live. The two are so closely intertwined. Mm-hmm. What What is the point? What should we try to learn from that? Because we usually see those as very distinct things. Uh, how you live. Mm-hmm. So I think to live as the people of God is to reflect who this God is. You'll find in Leviticus several points, at least four or five, where God will use this phrase, be holy because I'm holy, or to put it another way, because God is who he is, holy. Therefore, Mm -hmm. you ought to, as the people of God, display that by being holy, which again, uh, God makes a way for this to happen, for us to be forgiven, shown holy, brought into relationship with him, but then also that we would live in such a distinctive way from the rest of the world, from those who would worship foreign and false gods, that we would reflect this God's holiness, his otherness, 
by the way that we also live in an otherly type of way, which doesn't earn us Mm -hmm. our relationship with God. That's from the grace of God. But this then is reflecting that we understand that grace of God. That's how I would see the two fit together. Well, on that, jumping off of that and tied to that, Exodus 19.6, you will be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Mm -hmm. So God says this whole nation, this whole nation he's redeeming out of Egypt to be his people, they are going to be a royal priesthood. Mm. So if they're all priests, Mm -hmm. why do we need Aaron and his sons to be priests if we're for the Israelites? Yeah, why do we need priests? Maybe we don't. Uh, I think the priesthood is the, uh, I wanted to say paradigm, but that just felt really too pretentious. But then you use the word pretentious, so it didn't really help anything. Also felt pretentious. Uh, Priesthood is the model. Sipping on your soy latte. Well, this is drinking your eating your avocado toast. I gave that up. It's too expensive. (laughs) Good, we got to rise out of Joshua. He's paying attention over there. Those millennials. By the way, because I'm not recording on my computer, right? I have no idea the time frame right now. Josh, Joshua, where are we? How long have we been talking? We're 18 minutes. 18 minutes in? We got plenty of time. Oh, we got lots of time. Well, I think... Tell me more about your avocado toast. (laughs) I prefer delectable jams Mm, on my toast. mm. But uh, I think the priesthood serves as a model for what this means. So, okay, first and foremost, that language communicates because there's a priesthood. So it's showing them this is what this is what it means to live as the people of God. Um, I don't think it negates that there would be priests among these people, but it's communicating something to them that they know because they have a priesthood. The fact that we sort of um, have is it okay to call that a mediator type mediating position, like a mediator priest? I mean, is that fair language for me to use? It's that type of position, right? A priest. In this setting? I think so. I'm going to go with it. It may not be like completely theologically accurate, but that that's sort of what's happening, that the priest is mediating. He's a go-between. Pr- it's between right. the people and God. Okay, so just in that general way. Yeah, I mean, represents God to the people and the people to God. That's right. right. There are, I think in my mind, lots of reasons why we would either A, want that, and B, need that. Mm-hmm. But to sort of narrow those down to a few. Number one, when the people see and encounter the presence of God or the glory of God, it's always a uh, an awe-inspiring event that that causes you know these vast on a spectrum these vast responses of the people of do you know we're terrified but we're also sort of in in awe of worship and I mean all this you see it I think in when they get to Sinai. And they're at the mountain in Exodus, and mm-hmm. Moses goes up, and they see the glory of God descending on the mountain, and they don't want anything to do with that. They say, you go up, Moses. You're the one who let us out here. So I think there is inherent in us when it comes to the presence of God, this sort of, when you see it, you recognize that we can't enter that presence, but we certainly need someone to go in on our behalf right, to make us right, to, re- to renew that fellowship that we have with God. 
So I think uh, the priest serves that necessary function. Mm-hmm. And in Leviticus and under Moses, that the priest does that on behalf of the people. And that uh, as God has ordained and set it up, that it would happen. When we get into the New Testament and we see, which uh, we'll come to this in a second. So I'm, I'm just going to mention it and then ask later that Jesus then, according to Hebrews, is our true high priest, that we don't need that same position of a mediator between God and man because there's one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, the son, who's our high priest. And yet there's still this function of the 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 that God speaks to his people through those whom he has chosen, which I think now is just this office of pastor that we have. And so the whole people live in a set-apart way as they expect the priests to live in a set-apart way from mm-hmm. the people in this in these stories, that the priest lives a holy, set-apart type of life. And now and the people model that just on a grander scale in, among the nations of the world. That... Was, did you ask a question or did I just start talking? I did ask a question. I mean, I've actually forgotten what the question was at this point. No, I was asking why they needed a priest. If they're a kingdom of priests, why they need a priest? And you really said it's both, I mean, there's a practical reason. Mm-hmm. And they need mediators because they are not living in the holy manner so that God could dwell in them. So they That's need right. someone right. to ato- offer atoning sacrifices. There has to be a way because these are sinful people and God is holy. So there's sort of that practical side, but then you also said that they are providing a model. So a kingdom of priests need to need to know what it means to be a priest. Yeah. And Aaron and his sons are saying, this is what priesthood looks like. Which I think makes the beginning of Leviticus 10, that's why this is such a stark illustration mm. with Aaron and his sons, Nadab and Abihu, that... I don't know all the ins and outs of what's going on, but obviously something goes terribly awry. And as priests who are called to live in this particular type of way and don't, then there are serious and legitimate consequences because of the glory of God, because he's making his presence known. And the key thing that the passage draws you to is this contrast with everything else that's been going on in Leviticus. Well, really, Exodus and Leviticus. So building a tabernacle, then the institution of these sacrifices. And it's always Moses did all that the Lord commanded. Aaron did all that the Lord commanded. The people did all that the Lord commanded. And here we get these two sons of Aaron, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And so God's made a way to be to draw near to him, to be in his presence. And they went against that. Yeah. They opposed that. Right. And so there are drastic consequences. That's right. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. Yeah. And they died before the Lord. The same fire that showed itself in the end of Leviticus 9 that came down, consumed the the offerings, and the people fell down in worship. Mm-hmm. that evoked worship. They cried out, they called out and worshiped to God. The same fire comes down and also consumes. That's, I think you just see those two parallel, back to back, intentionally, to show the type of God that this is, this holy God whose presence is like a consuming fire. That's right. Okay. And so that, that consuming fire is both a joy mm-hmm. to his people mm-hmm. and a danger 
to mm. those who would reject him and reject his way. And so, I mean, I think there's a strong parallel there with the gospel that it's, it's this joy to those who trust in Christ. And yet it's the aroma of death to all who are perishing mm. that it is, it's what we saw with Pharaoh, that God's proclamation, God's word, it was, those were the words of life to the people of Israel. And yet to Pharaoh, they hardened his heart because he kept rejecting the Lord. So the same message was life-giving to the Israelites and it hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the gospel does the same. That's right. Yeah. You know what I I love about the discussion questions that you asked? One of the ones that you asked was, um, you said, why did the Lord kill Nadab and Abihu? There's no answer. That's just, that's the question. Why did the Lord do this? Uh, Isn't it great when you get asked a question and don't have to give the answer? It's good. It's good. I feel like that's been your policy for a lot of this podcast. That's why I really try to take control today. (laughs) Yeah, I've noticed that. It's a lot easier just to ask the question. It is. It is. Well, you're, I mean, to be fair, you are preaching this passage uh, in a few days. So I think you should have a good handle on it by now. One would expect that. You've written the sermon, right? You're done? Of course. I've thought about the sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Give me like a, when we have this many minutes left. Um, We've gone over that. We we like to go to 30, don't we? 30. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I said, give me five when we have this many, and he holds up four. So mm. obviously my my mental time clock is, yeah. is not I, I thought we'd becoming be. unwound. Yeah, anyways. All right. Uh, Jesus as the high priest. Yes. Wow. Okay. So Hebrews, the author, seems to be drawing far as we can tell, off of this Levitical priesthood, Leviticus, and then, but also Exodus, and even some in Genesis with Melchizedek, who mm-hmm. was the, mm-hmm. you know, kingly priest. Uh, so Jesus as the high priest, is there anything, like, is this where the story is taking us? How do we understand? How does this fit into what we're under, what we're reading about Leviticus here? Well, I think Jesus' priesthood is a better priesthood. I mean, that's the sort of the big argument of Hebrews is that Jesus is a better mediator and therefore the covenant that he institutes is a better covenant. So basically Jesus's way of salvation is a better way of salvation than what is happening here in Leviticus. And one of the key ways that he, the author of Hebrews shows that is by saying Jesus is a better priest. And there are all these different ways he says it. But I think tying in here, a couple of things that he highlights are, well, the priest, Jesus as a priest, never has to offer a sacrifice Mm -hmm. for himself. Mm -hmm. And so where the Aaronic priest, the priest here in Leviticus, have to offer sacrifices to purify themselves, to set themselves apart for this ministry, Jesus is sinless. And so in his sinlessness, he goes and he offers his sacrifice. And not only does he have to offer a sacrifice for himself, but his sacrifice that he offers is greater because he offers himself, not just the blood of bulls and goats, but he offers his very self as a sacrifice to atone for his people, to reconcile his people to God. And he's now ministering, not in a copy of, Mm-hmm. of the heavenly tabernacle mm-hmm. like Aaron and his sons do, but he's actually in heaven itself at God, seated at God's right hand, 
interceding, mediating for his people. So he's dwelling in the very presence of God at God's right hand. What other things would you add to that? Uh, I think you nailed it. And I think that's what Hebrews is doing. And uh, all these sort of expectations of a priest, it's as if Hebrews is showing how Jesus not only meets, but exceeds Mm. these in every way. That if you just read Leviticus, you think, oh, okay, so be holy as a priest, be set apart. Uh, And then the son of God, who is God himself comes and that's holiness, you know, or uh, teach, teach the people about God. And then here's the son who is revealing God. He is the image of the invisible God. So everything is not only met on a human standard, but in God's grace, it exceeds so that there's nothing else that we would ever be wanting for Mm. other than Jesus Christ. Um, And uh, I, I love how these all fit together. So we think about Christ's work as the interceding work, the atoning work, this mediatorial work. But there's a whole section in Leviticus about be holy that you've mm-hmm. drawn out to, mm-hmm. drawn out for us. Mm-hmm. And as you are eminently the historian of the Holy Spirit. Oh, um, wow. You like that? You like yeah. That? Gonna, yeah. Sort of a B.B. Uh, Warfield take on John Calvin. Yeah. Let's well, just, I'll be, I'll be the B.B. to your, okay. to your John. How about I'm just that? reappropriating that. Yeah. There you okay. go. Okay. Thank you. Uh, there was a question there. Was gonna, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, where's the Holy Spirit come into this? So being... Because there's this call to be holy, this mm-hmm. call to be set apart. Yeah. And now the Spirit, Christ, seated at God's right hand, sends the Spirit. Mm. So where do we see, how does that connect with what's going on in Leviticus? Within the story of Christ, it's shown that the Holy Spirit is empowering Christ mm. to accomplish the work that the Son has been called to accomplish. And he does this in and through the power of the Holy Spirit from his uh, conception to his resurrection and That's even right. the ascension. It is through the Spirit that this is accomplished. And as we read in John 14, 15, 16, and at the end of Matthew and Luke, that when Christ ascends, he sends the Spirit for our good, for our benefit. And as the Spirit comes down, for all those who have faith in Christ have become indwelt by the Spirit of God. And so you see the very... Uh, working of God in the Son that uh, empowered the Son's ministry, that empowered the ministry of Jesus Christ, is at work in us as a people to likewise make us holy so that we are called holy. So we can say, you know, as, a, as an individual in Christ, I am holy. And yet we also see that we're simultaneously still sinners, mm. that the Spirit is working in us a sanctifying work to show the outworking of our holiness in the world so that it's very much God at work even in us to make us holy, even as Christ was holy. Uh, and we can be called that. We can have confidence in Christ that we are sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. But then we can also see that through His work in the Spirit, we are being made holy even so in our lives. And in that being made holy, we are in the new, as new Testament believers, a holy nation. That's right. A people belonging to God and a kingdom of priests. That's right. And so these things that Israel was called to be. So the new Testament church is called to be to the world today. Yep. Well, I've been given the zero sign, which means zero minutes. And you know, our 30 minute mark is a loose aim, you know, ish. It's a, 
It's a podcast. This isn't for network TV. That's right. <laughs> when you're syndicated, do you have to hold the time more strictly? No, then you have to do live reads. Oh, okay. So like when you mentioned jam, I think potentially we could do like a Jay Moore farm jam oh, read. on site. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, next week is week 24 of the OT reading guide and uh, you can keep reading along. Chapters in Leviticus are follow your guide 16, 17, 18, 19, and 23. So there you go. Look forward to seeing you next week. Same time, same place. And thank you for your time, John. Thanks, Tyler.